This is Kyle McCord, and you're listening to Austin, Felix, and Matt on the Debbie Debate. Welcome to the Debbie Debate. All right, boys. Are we ready to debate? Austin, you tweeted something, girl. You tweeted your running back tonight. Explain yourself. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand. <laughs> you jumped up and... That's Austin Nace. Who is going to be that guy? And for me, Bijan Robinson is still going to be that guy. Back to the ground with Robinson, who spins and then tries to bounce it. A stiff arm, another one as he rides it, keeps his balance. They're going to say he stepped out, but I'm... I'm feeling sharp. I know you didn't think that we would get through this episode without mentioning the name one Zach F. Wilson. Screener draw. Oh, Wilson is going to uncork for the end zone. And he drops it in beautifully. And it is his roommate, Dax Milne, on the touchdown. That's Matt Brody. G. Scott Jr. Obviously, I whacked poetic about him on the last episode, so I won't do that again here. And this time it's Fields on the carry. Watch out! Justin Fields! Hello, Columbus! 51 yards! Vernon, are you ready to go head to head with me? I am. Gotta get my popcorn out here. Hold on. Gotta continue. I just got to. Kyle McCord is going to end up winning the job. He's going to be rated higher. Um, well, I'm not nearly as passionate about what I'm about to talk about. Uh, our apologies because her truth ran out of time. We'll get to reschedule soon. And for Matt Bruning and Austin A, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. It's 9.30 Eastern time, the only time zone that hits different. That means it's time for the Debbie Debate, brought to you by CampusPan.com. That's Matt Bruning. Austin Nace is on a yacht with Mark Zuckerberg. Chris Felix Sharp on a windy version of tonight's show. We talk quarterback and wide receiver stacks to target in C2Cs. Is a high school junior worth $8 million? And what can we learn from Jalen Watermeyer's pro day performance? But we start with Tyreek Hill. Traded to Miami just a few hours ago. Miami sends a 2022 first, a 2022 second, 2022 fourth, and 2023 picks of the fourth round and sixth round. Chris Moxley, what was your reaction to this news? I think it's a bad trade by Miami. I don't think that they are ready to compete quite yet. I think that they are more than a Tyree kill away. Um they're not going to win the division. Buffalo is clearly a better team than them as it stands. I think they're probably better than the Patriots, but are they a top seven or eight team in the AFC? Probably not. They're giving a they're they're paying market value for a wide receiver, and then they're also paying a first and a second and a whole bunch of other picks. It just feels wrong for Miami to be the one that's in on this. It, like it doesn't make sense. The Jets were the other team. Same deal. I didn't like either team being in on this. The he, Tyree Kill is a good player, but he's hitting the AJ picks. So I actually like the Jets offer because the Jets didn't offer a first round pick, and so it didn't seem like they were giving up their their entire future with the the Dolphins. I mean, they're throwing 
everything at least this year into Tyreek Hill, which is fine. But like you said, I don't think that they're a Tyreek Hill of being be away from being a contender. I mean, you've got the whole AFC, the the Chiefs, the Raiders, the the uh, Broncos, and the um, and the Chargers. I mean, they're are they going to be able to get through those teams? And I, I don't know. I this team wasn't committed to Tua Tagovailoa, and now they're building around him. I mean, it seems like there is some disconnect in the vision for this franchise, and they're making decisions somewhat on the whim. So it feels like a splashy move, but not substantive. Not substantive. The only thing that's going to be that's going to move the needle for this team is the development of Tua Tonga Villaloa. Now, to be fair, we have recently seen some of the slower quarterback developments that have been buoyed by some sort of change. I'm thinking specifically about Jared Goff. He was under Jeff Fisher. Sean McVay comes in, and he kind of has you know those couple of years under that system where he's a really good fantasy quarterback. Same for Josh Allen. You know, very toolsy, but inaccurate player. Then all of a sudden he gets uh, Stefan Diggs and he's accurate. Could this be that type of move where we see the best of Tua um, with Tyreek Hill, with Tyreek Hill added to the fold? I mean, it's a very good set of skill position players. They added Raheem Mostert. They added uh, Chase Edmonds and you've got Mike Gusecki there at the tight end. I mean, they might have the best skill positions in the, what is that, the AFC East? Are they in the AFC East with New England and, and New York? Anyway, um, I, it's just, Matt, I, I was a bit confused, though, because this is a push-all-your-chips-in type move, <clears throat> and they don't seem to have a really good hand. Yeah, I completely disagree with both of you. And I was not really a big fan of this trade when I first saw it go down. I mean... They're not giving up their future. They gave up their first and second this year. They still have a first-round pick. They did not trade the Rams pick, so they still keep a first. They signed Teron Armstead, so they just improved their offensive line. Now, it doesn't make as much sense compared to all of the other wide receivers they brought in earlier and some of the players that they paid, but they then gave up two-fourths and a sixth. How often do fourth-round players and sixth-round players really stay on your roster? Not often if, if you didn't draft well. So I don't really have an issue with them giving up a first and a second and then paying Tyreek Hill. You got to say that they're far away from making it. They missed the playoffs by one game last year. One game on a team that, according to everything now, while I still think Brian Flores is a good coach, there was a lot of issues with Brian Flores there with his coaching staff, all that stuff. Now they bring in a guy from the Kyle Shanahan tree, Mike McDaniel. They bring in Chase Edmonds, Raheem Mostert. They're going to be a run first team, which I think helps Tua because I think Tua is a tad bit overrated, if I'm being honest. Like, I don't know that this is, I think they're pushing all their chips in to find out is Tua really going to be the guy. Like, Tua can't fail now. If Tua fails, he's gone. But you've got two guys now who come from the Kyle Shanahan tree where they use like Hold on, a, let me stop you real, real quick. How is he going to be gone? I mean, they're not going to be able to draft. Are they going to draft a quarterback next year? I mean, like yes, they've traded they didn't away give up their first their, round pick. That's they didn't give up their are, first round pick for 2023, but they but are they going to have like a top 10-ish pick where they can go all, ahead and take all Bryce it Young takes or is CJ for you Stroud. to trade a couple first round picks to move up. We don't know where they're going to be. I mean, and there's also going to be quarterbacks who go on the market. Like, we're sitting here talking about how nobody expected, what are we going to do with this rookie class? Because we're going to have so many quarterback openings. Now there's, like, almost no quarterback openings because all these players have moved around. Like, what happens if a Jimmy G ends up there next year? Like, 
I'm not saying that two is going to be bad. I'm saying they're pushing their chips on and saying, hey, we're getting you all these weapons. You've got to prove it now. You've got Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, who are extremely diverse as well. Like everybody assumes Tyree kills this deep threat, but I believe his a dot was like eight yards. He's not going that far down the field. We think that because of how deep Patrick Mahomes bombs the ball to him. Mike McDaniel comes from a very innovative offensive group. I'll say, because we've seen it work out with Zach Taylor at Cincinnati. Now this past year, he's learned under Kyle Shanahan. He's worked with Sean McVay. I, they, they, uh, Kyle Shanahan credits him with how good that run game has been. That's why I think they're going to be more of a run-heavy team. But then you bring in a guy like Tyreek Hill, who, let's just be honest, is a game-changer. He is. I agree with Moxley. He's hitting that age apex, and I don't know exactly how long the deal is. I don't know if I'd have paid him for more than three or four years. I, don't, I would not have paid him as the best wide receiver in the league either. In my opinion, that's Devontae Adams, but whatever. You did it. You went all in on him, but now you've got Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Parker, Mike Gusecki, and then those running backs with an improved offensive line on a team with a good defense that all literally missed the playoffs by one game last year with a new offense, which I think was a big issue last year, was their offense. So I don't think it was a bad trade at all. I think it was a good trade for what they gave up. Again, realistically, when I look at the trade, the first and second round pick this year, the only picks that I think are any of, are any consequence for the Dolphins, and they still kept their other first-round pick. So they can still grab a high-end player at the back end of the first round. So they get a guy, help improve that offense. Like I don't think it's a bad team. And the one thing I will say, yeah, that's right, Baker is retiring. Hey, he might be going to your Steelers here, Austin, not to break off topic. I'm going to have to become a Steelers fan. I agree that I think the Bills are the best team in the AFC East team. I am a little worried about what that team is going to be now that Dayball is gone because Josh Allen was not Josh Allen before Dayball got there. And now they've got Ken Dorsey, who has never called plays before. I'm just saying, like, I, I, I'm not saying the Bills are going to fall off a cliff. They're still the best team in the AFC East. But I do think the Dolphins can compete and, and win a playoff spot. I, I think you're right in that. Um you're giving up a first and a second round pick. Who cares about the other ones? You're giving a first and second round pick for Tyree Kill. If you're going to draft a wide receiver anyway, why not go get one of the five best wide receivers um, uh, in the NFL? But it just doesn't feel like this team is a two, is a um, Tyree Kill away. It feels like they still need to figure out the quarterback position. And I just don't buy that they're building this team around Tua Tunga Villaloa and they're just going to take it away from them next year and throw somebody else in there who's a I mean they're this is a this is built to win now. So it's not going to be a rookie that gets you across that bridge and you're not going to be able to trade for some elite quarterback next year. At least I don't foresee that. So it's just I don't know. It's I've got questions about this one. Chris, there are other I mean there are a lot of we could talk about this particular trade the entire show. We're not going to do that. But I mean, talk, we got to talk about the Chiefs in their Super Bowl window because they are perennially, at least since Patrick Mahomes has been there, a favorite um, when you're considering Super Bowl odds. This feels like it chips away at that a little bit, especially when you consider the strength of that division. Yeah, it it does. But I mean, anytime Patrick Mahomes is your quarterback, like you're probably okay. Uh, I, th I think that they will draft a wide receiver with the 29th or 30th pick this year, uh, which they hold both of now. Uh, and is that wide receiver going to come in and be a game breaker day one? Probably not. They still have Travis Kelsey. I think they have enough there to continue being a dynamic offense. And the window is open as long as you have Patrick Mahomes, in my opinion. Like I, I'm not 
necessarily worried about the Chiefs. And I know Andy Reid is the type of coach who invests in the system and the quarterback and says, hey, anybody can succeed here. Whether or not that's true, I don't necessarily subscribe to that idea as well. But that's what Andy Reid believes. And Andy Reid thinks that Tyreek Hill was just a cog in the system. I mean, obviously he was talented, but they can find someone else to replace him. At least Reid thinks so. So we'll see. But I'm not willing to write the Chiefs off yet. And I don't think it's a huge step back until I actually see it affect them on the field. This is all I'm going to say in response to that. When you have Patrick Mahomes, uh, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey, that's really scary. When you have Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, I mean, you can really concentrate your your defense to stop Travis Kelsey. It doesn't seem, you know, I mean, Tyreek Hill adds a whole nother dimension. I mean, he's essentially Randy Moss of this generation. So um, uh, let's see what they do. Let's see what they do. I don't think that they're going to – at a Randy Moss level talent in the draft or in free or via trade, but I could be wrong from Tyreek Hill, making his money to a high schooler making his um, Nico. Iam Alieva is a five-star quarterback from long beach poly in California. He is the third ranked quarterback, according to the 24 seven ranking behind arch Manning and Malachi Nelson. Now this has not been confirmed, but there is a report from the athletic. I believe it was dated uh, March 12th where a high schooler signed an NIL deal tied specifically to a school for $8 million through the player's junior year. And that included a signing bonus of $350,000. And it is believed that that player is Nico Iyama Alieva. Um, Just to give you a sense of this, he's going to Tennessee. I don't know if I said that. He's going to Tennessee. He is sort of a string beanish, tall, six foot six, 210 pound, gunslinger who has some mobility he's able to do it but it seems like he prefers to uh sit in the pocket and throw the ball all over the place now he was at long beach poly as a uh freshman and then transferred schools and is going back to long beach poly for his senior year and chris and and matt we can talk about nico but i don't i i really want to talk about the fact that we're at this point where we are not going to act like college football isn't a business. We're going to just put it out there. You have a kid. I mean, he's not even the best quarterback in his class, signs an $8 million deal. What could Arch Manning be worth if he uh, got full market value? Money's going to the players. Money is going to start circling around everything in college football. Um, So, well, let me stop there. What are your thoughts about Nico Iamalieva, the contract, his commitment to Tennessee. I'll so I don't know a lot about him as a player. So I'm not gonna act like I I have a great understanding. I know Austin isn't a huge fan. I know some of the recruiting folks at 24-7 really like him. They think that he has really great arm talent. I'm not going to pretend I know anything about this. So I'm taking the same approach that you are, Felix, of uh, just like, I don't want to talk about Nico exactly. But I want to talk about the deal itself. And I want to talk about a couple other aspects of this. I actually think this is really, really interesting. So this is categorically different than any other deals that have been signed in the NIL era. So like most are brand partnerships, right? We see Caleb Williams and his deal with Beats by Dre. We see... Uh, DJ Gu and his deal with Pepsi. 
Sam Howell signed a deal with Bojangles, et cetera. So these are deals with brands that the players are making themselves. This is different. He, this hands over his exclusive NIL rights to the, the NIL collective at Tennessee. So unless I'm mistaken, this is the first time that we've seen a player basically hand over their rights. And I, I this is kind of similar to how you sign like a, a contract in the music industry, like handing over your rights and you say, okay, you do X, Y, Z sort of thing for us. And though if for uh, Iamalieva, this is um, like appearances and signings and all that sort of thing. So there's an agreement that he has with the NIL collective at, at Tennessee. So he's allowed to start accepting money, like you said, Felix, because he's in the state of California. State of California is really the only place that allows you to do that. Um, 350k at signing, and so he has that money. And I, this deal is interesting because I believe this deal prevents him from signing or going elsewhere. Because if he goes to another school, the agreement that they have as the collective would basically be bunk because he wouldn't be able to advertise and promote for the other school. So we're bordering on inducement and inducement is the, like the dirty word for the, for uh, the NCAA. Cause you don't want to, it's not like pay for play, but it's damn close. And so this isn't quite that, but it's certainly very close. The second portion of this. And I think that's really interesting is that I think Nico Iamalieva is underpaid. I think 8 million to sign away your NIL rights is like way too little. I think he should. I, I think he should. It's the most, though, Chris. It's the most that someone signed for up to this point. And he signed it. So the, Bryce Young had that whole, he has a million dollar in worth in NIL before he even played. I think Bryce Young's making more than that as we sit here right now. We will never know because a lot of these deals are private. But $8 million to sign away the entirety of your NIL right, NIL rights feels really cheap. Because you think about this in history, right? What if he hits? Like, what if he is a five-star quarterback who is very productive and becomes a first-round player? That, to your university, is worth a lot more than $8 million. So we saw the Johnny Manziel effect, right? Texas A&M raised $740 million during the Johnny football season, which was $300 million more than they had ever raised in a single calendar year. So Johnny Manziel is worth, like, 300 million to Texas A&M, right? <laughs> Tank for Tua, LSU media coverage, all of for, for the Joe Burrow season. All of these players have generated so much more than $8 million to the university. So if I'm an NIL collective, I'm willing to spend $8 million and say, hey, it, it, maybe this works. But if it doesn't, that's okay. Because the next time a five-star comes around, we'll just pay him again. Because the odds that your five-star that gets drafted into the NFL is a productive player at and provides value to the university is way more than $8 million. And I actually think Arch Manning should be asking for 50 million, 75 million. Like, I think that's where Arch Manning's ask should be. I'm not sure he gets it or he even wants it, but that's where Arch Manning should start out because 8 million is way too cheap for a five-star quarterback. You know, what's, what's crazy. And Matt, you can answer this question is the, is college does not have a salary cap. And so you're absolutely right in that Archman, if Archman, if, Nico Iamalieva is worth eight million million. Then what is Arch Manning worth if he asked for a max dollar? I don't I think 50 million is re, is reasonable. And we and and we're we could get if there is no regulation implemented here, we're going to get to the point where you make more money in college 
than you do as a first round NFL dra- draft pick, Matthew. Yeah, I don't think he's going to get $50 million, Um, but I do think he's probably going in anywhere that's talking to him and saying, like, eight is my baseline. He could ask for it. He could demand that amount. No, no, I'm not saying he can't ask for it. I'm just saying he's not going to get it. But I think he's definitely going in and saying, hey, like, if Nico just got eight from Tennessee, I want at least ten to prove that he's he's the number one guy in the class. Like, he I'm not saying he's not going to ask for 25 minimum. He can ask for whatever he wants. I'm not saying that he can't. I'm not saying he has to ask for 10. I'm saying he's going to go in there and say the lowest I'm taking is whatever. It's not going to be less than 8 million. He's not taking less than Nico. He gets so 20 plus from Texas. All we Matthew not all we're saying it. here is that if we're if these NIL deal deals measure the the market value of a particular player and if nico iamalieva is worth eight million arch manning is worth more than 10 million i'm not saying he's not like good god you guys don't listen when i talk i'm saying he's going to at least say he's going to get he's going to get at least 10 million he's not taking eight or less because of what nico got that's all i'm saying i'm not saying he's not going to go and ask for 25 i don't give a fuck if he walks into texas front door and say give me a hundred million he can ask for whatever the hell he wants. Doesn't mean he's going to get it. Secondly, I think we're going down a very slippery slope now with this. And I do think the NCAA is eventually going to step in now with, with the way this is working. With what Chris said about Nico, he's he's 100% right on he's likely going to be underpaid if he hits. But that's a big if. Because if he doesn't, now the $8 million doesn't matter at all to Tennessee. That's probably chump change to most of that NIL collective. But if he doesn't hit, like that's at least good money for Nico, I think, to be set up because he may not end up end up, end up getting drafted. So I like that part of it for him. But I don't. I think the NCAA is going to eventually cap this in some way. There's no way they're going to let this keep going this way. I think we're literally about to see this. Like, I can't remember what you just said, Felix. I was going to try and compare it to like what minor leagues are now in some of these, like basketball. It's got the G League, MLB with Double A, Triple A. I think that we're going to see stuff like this right now, like Tennessee. What what do we consider them? A like a would you Moxley? You're a big baseball fan. Like I would, they'd be like a two A school, like a double A team. And they're not triple A, so like a double A team right yeah. now. Yeah. So like, like if team. Nico, if Nico ends up hitting, does and say he becomes like the best prospect because there are people who think that he there are twenty four seven sports people who think he's the number one rated quarterback in this class. So if he ends up hitting and becoming that, does Alabama come in and say, like you said, he can't go to another school, right? Because that's the end. Of, so does Alabama come in and pay a buyout and then get him to go to Alabama and pay him more money? So then he's like moving up. Like, I think that's realistically where we're going to see things going if they don't put a cap on this. So, and I don't have an issue if they do or don't. Like if they don't, great, go get their money. Felix can say whatever I want about communists. I'm just being realistic. Arch Manning's not getting $50 million. No, I'm, just, I'm no, I'm, I'm yeah. Market suppression. I love market suppression. Let's do all the regulation. Let's put a cap on it. Let's they're not give to. these players what they're, let's not let the market compete for these players talents because we don't like free markets here in America. And I, I agree with you, Matthew. I think, how, I, just, I think I agree with you. <laughs> how much do y'all think Arch Manning's NIL deal is next year? Because I think it's, there's a good case we, that it's over $20 million if that is the path that he wants to pursue. Right. And that's – he's a man – so Arch Manning probably isn't the right player for this particular role. If it was – if this was Cam Newton coming out as a, uh, as a as a high school prospect and he was in the NIL era, 
I feel like we would see what the max value is. But Arch Manning, you know, he's all he's he's got his money. He's the, a Manning. He's essentially football royalty. I don't know that he's the the best for this. So, um, and that's and and that is what Austin's suggestion has been is that Arch Manning is not going to look to break the bank, and he'll take something less. And Austin says he thinks he's going to go to Texas, which you know, if he, if his objective is to go to the place that prepares him best for the NFL, probably doesn't get much better than that. Um, all right. Any, I'm, I feel like we're losing the audience with this talk about a player that they've never heard. But it's interesting because th- th- this is what I want to say. Josh Pate on Late Kick last night talked about the brands for universities being bigger than the brands of these individuals, and that being a factor contributing to why college fantasy football is not played on a wider spectrum. If you start getting college kids, in subway commercials, driving Lincolns in in um, in com- in commercials. If you see them, you know, becoming uh, saying, "I'm going to Disney World." Those pro those profiles are going to get a lot bigger. And I mean, there's money circling everything here. Why wouldn't everything in college football? I just think that it's a natural progression for fantasy to eventually get into the game because there's money to be made there. It's an untapped market, as Josh said uh, yesterday. All right. Um, anything else on this one? That was good. No, I, I agree with your last point. Um, and we've seen this over time. Players are bigger than their school. Tebow, Manziel, Burrow, when he was at LSU. This is not a new thing. We just You just need to hit it at the right time. All right. Um from, I mean, who's going to make more money next year, Matthew? Is it uh, Nico Iamalieva or Jalen Watermeyer? Probably Nico with Watermeyer's uh, pro day. That's, see, that was me handing you the s- subject of the next topic. Hey, look, you said that you wanted to throw it to Chris Moxley. If we're just oh, did I say that? The, yeah, you, you wanted to throw everything oh, yeah. to Moxley today in our text <laughs> messages, so I'm just sitting here, and whenever you want me to talk, you just say, hey, Matt, we're, we're glad that no, you joined us. Let's we have say, anything gonna, you want to say, talk and I'll this. just jump in. Let's just have a show meeting right here, and the reason for that is, is because when I send text messages late in the day when we're getting ready for the show, Moxley is the only one who responds, and Moxley is the only one who I can tell actually looked at the show sheet and is adding notes. So let's let's just throw this up here. First of all, you you meant to say shell show sheet. You said shill show sheet. And then only person who responded to you was a guy named Matt Bruning. I don't know him, but he sounds like a phenomenal dude who said, how many stacks do you want us to do? I always do my notes on a different sheet because you and Moxley fill up eight pages of notes. And I don't want to get confused, so I put my notes on my own little page so I can go in and find them and I don't get confused. And then literally the next person to respond was you hours later and was like, hey, Moxley, I'm going to throw it to you for housekeeping. Hey, Moxley, I'm going to throw it to you for Widermeyer. Hey, Moxley, I'm going to throw it to you to Tyreek. I I don't hear Debbie Kane and Shane Hallam doing this on the marketplace. This is why we'll never get anywhere. I've never never heard this in the Royale. I only do this because it's fun. I'm not trying to make this a job. It's not fun. It's not fun because you're wearing you? those colors. That's why. Yeah, I'm all having right. a bad time, man. Let's let's all right. So the news cycle is fast and things become old really, really quickly. But let's not forget that Jalen Watermeyer ran a a five three, five oh three forty yard dash on Tuesday. 
considered the number one tight end for a lot of De- uh, Debbie analysts out there, probably not even draftable now. It really reminds me of Michael Roberts. If folks remember Michael Roberts coming out of Toledo with um, uh, Kareem Hunt, Deontay Johnson. I believe they were on the same team. Chris, I'm not going to say our because I don't think that we were very high on Jalen Watermeyer Watermeyer collectively as a company, but does the, the, does the Debbie community's misevaluation of Jalen Watermeyer at all inform our evaluation or should it inform our evaluation of Michael Mayer or Brock Bowers, the consensus number one and number two tight ends now. So I, I thought about this because I drafted Jalen Watermeyer last year. And I think there are three takeaways from his profile that, we can adopt when looking at tight ends or just players really in the future. One is maybe not valuing closer players that are closer to the NFL, like way more than we do players who are just better. I think that applies to Michael Mayer in this instance. I, a lot of people had him tight end one over Mayer. I think that was a mistake. Mayer was clearly the better player, more athletic and a lot of, uh, and, and just productive in the context of the Notre Dame offense that has produced better players over time. Second is ignoring athleticism, uh, especially the tight end position. Like that's a really tough thing to do. He did not, he never looked athletic on film. I don't think he's a five, like a five Oh three guy. I really, really don't like, I think he's closer to like a four, eight guy. That's what he ran, but he never looked athletic. He was never a a plus athlete. Not only Um, did he not look athletic, but there, you could never find verified testing for him. Even in the Debbie watch guide last year, they noted, you know, yeah, yeah, he's good, but you can't find any verified testing for him. No, you couldn't. And even I was reading the 24-7 profile for him earlier today, and Gabe Brooks said he's stiff through the hips and core and takes forever to build up momentum. That is Jalen Watermeyer to a T. Like, he is not an athletic player. Um, the third portion is he had, like, pretty well-documented character issues. And I wonder if that led to this really poor testing of being like, Hey, I'm just really good. I don't need to prepare because a 25, five vertical and a five Oh three 40 time. Like that's a dude who just came in unprepared at all. So I really wonder if that's a small portion of it. Cause it was something that was well-documented. So I don't really care how it applies to a guy like Michael Mayer, who has a verified four seven on his resume as a high school, high schooler. Uh, he, I think he compares well, like, I don't want to say this, but like, I think he plays similarly to Gronk, like maybe a light version of Gronk. And like, Gronk ran a 4 7 3. So, like, that doesn't bother me. Brock Barris has a verified 4 5 40. Like, those are very categorically different players who ha- apparently do not have, as far as I can tell, any character concerns the same way that there were very well documented things about Weidermeyer. And, and I, there are just a couple takeaways from that whole saga, I guess. I agree. Michael Mayer's short area quickness for being 240, 245 pounds is outstanding. I don't necessarily care if he has long speed, but he is that big and he moves like a wide receiver. Um, I asked on Twitter, I posted the poll on the Debbie debate poll. Do you think that Michael Mayer is going to go pick in 2023, pick 20 or earlier or pick 21 or later? And I think that that poll came back as the majority of folks saying that he is going to be a top 20 pick. That's what I believe. I think that he's an outstanding so. athlete, yeah. and you have to be an outstanding athlete at that position. Uh, Julius Thomas, Rob Gronkowski. To be good, to be good, you have to you you, you can be well, a no, sub athlete. I, I agree. Do you think that Michael Mayer is a plus plus athlete? Because I think he's a good I athlete. Do. I don't think he's great. 
Let, I mean, what's great? I, mean, school, I don't think he's no. I'm not saying he's Noah Fant, but I think yeah, he's tra- his like high Travis school Kelsey. testing was his high school testing was underwhelming to to be honest. Like he was two thirty five, really? six six four and like a half in high school. I think it was underwhelming. He has like a thirty four and a half inch vertical. He has like a four eight forty. Like it's not spectacular. I think he's a better athlete than his testing showed. So I'm mm-hmm. really curious to see. But like I don't think he's in the Kyle Pitts. Uh, I think Brock Bowers is a much better athlete than he is. I'm not worried necessarily, but I think he's like an average athlete. Like I don't think he's a great athlete. I think he's just like average, which is which is passable considering how good I think he is in so many other areas of the uh, of the game. But like I don't think he's going to impress. I think he's like a 50th percentile athlete. Which is Austin fine. is Austin is backseat driving from the comment section, adding that no, Michael Mayer is not a great athlete. He also said that we peeled the curtain back too much when we were arguing about the show sheet and Matthew, <laughs> you know, saying so. You can let us know at Debbie Debate. Did we peel the curtain back too much, or is Austin whatever? All right, um, I okay. I, I'll be interested to see how Michael Mayer tests because I do think that he moves very well laterally for a 245-pound tight end. I think he runs well, too, for, uh, for for being a player that size. Matthew, did you have anything you wanted to add on uh, Weidermeyer? Nope. Go ahead. Go to housekeeping. All right. Moxley, uh, housekeeping all right. is all you. I, pre- I prepared today. A um, couple things that we want to touch on. First is the website on uh, Pi Day 314. We launched a brand new website, kept all of our same tools, added a whole bunch of new content, stuff like college fantasy football ADP and rankings, Devi ADP and rankings, in addition to some more goodies from Jarek. Uh, that includes rush yards over expected tool, which is really, really interesting to compare running backs over the course of time and how they perform in terms of the situation. We've also released three different membership tiers, and this is important because because between now and the end of the month, April 1st, if you sign up for a yearly walk-on membership, which is our tier one, you're grandfathered into the scholarship membership, which is tier two. This gives you access to all of our tools, ADP, ranks. It's a $20 savings that you get if you sign up in the next seven days. Uh, this also gives you access to our freshman guide and clearly access to the Discord. And the Discord is going to be bumping tomorrow. So it's important that you prioritize this because Matt's going to be on and Felix is going to be on. And if I have it right, I think Felix is going to be talking about Will Levis tape. Yeah. So, so yeah, tomorrow at nine 30 in the discord, if you're a member of the campus again, we're going to be doing a, doing a film breakdown of Will Levis to see his strengths and weaknesses. All we got some all 22 films. So we're going to be taking a look at Will Levis. I wanted to do this anyway. And I just figured, Hey, why not do it for uh, our discord cord members? So it's only for members. So if you want to, uh, you know, participate in that. You got to be a number member. Sign up for the website. And Matt, you're Matt, but I'm the Matt is the lead in. He's got something going too tomorrow. Yeah, we're. Ju- I'm just doing an a- AMA tomorrow, like Austin did. 20, 30 minutes leading into Austin uh, Felix's film session with Will Levis. We'll talk whatever you guys want to talk about it. The goal was to because we got a bunch of soccer fans in there talk soccer, but then Felix decided he wanted to come in and hijack my my night. So I'll be cutting it short so that we can all go watch some film on Will Levis before USA plays Mexico. Yeah, and that'll, that'll be a lot of fun because a lot of people think that Will Levis has first-round potential, so I'm really excited to see what Felix thinks of his film and really the ups and downs. So a couple more things before we uh, transition to the next topic. Our YouTube page. For the same period, before 4-1, 
If you subscribe to our YouTube page and you send a DM to the Campus Canton Twitter account, you'll be entered into a drawing for a signed Keishon Boutte jersey. If you're listening and you're not subscribed, hit that button, like our videos. It helps us build a brand, and we're delivering a whole bunch of different daily content. Uh, the, the stuff that we're putting out here uh, on the YouTube is, is truly incredible. Rate and review the damn show. I am tired of y'all being freeloaders. If you're listening right now and you've never reviewed the show, you that is what you are. You are a freeloader and you got to start paying rent. And your rent comes in terms of a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Podcasts. Well, I don't care wherever you listen. You got to give us a rate and review. Same idea as the YouTube page. It helps us grow the brand. And y'all are all interested in college fantasy football. You're all interested in C2C. If you're interested in this brand growing, you got to hit us up with a rate and review. I'm tired. I'm tired of y'all listening. Our numbers that people listen to does not equal the number of views that we've had on this page. Get it together. Last portion. I'll throw it over to Felix. Um, if he wants to elaborate on the, the Josh Pate uh, college fantasy football thing more, I think it's really interesting. Uh, what he talked about this week in, in, in terms of the gaps that we're having or the stuff that we're, we're talking about in terms of what the gaps, the gaps and challenges, but also opportunities are for college fantasy football. Do you want to talk any more about that, Felix? No, I, I, I covered I covered it. First of all, let me just say I was terrified when you were yelling at me about uh, the rates. and That's a strong – I mean, I don't think Austin could even come close to if he tried to be as terrifying as that was was so um good job there um but no i think we already talked about the jo- josh pate's quotes about investing in college football and it being an untapped market but that's why we're here that's why campus to is here all right uh let's move on we're gonna talk about quarterback wide receiver stacks that we are interested in in c2c's and we tried to go i mean we could say you know xavier worthy and quinn ewers but that's kind of obvious we could say jackson smith and jigba and cj stroud that's obvious too but we so we tried to go a little bit off the radar this is the thing this so mike valerie complains about this show being college football debate and not debbie debate in my opinion, like Debbie is like five rounds. That's like 60 something players that you could talk about. We'd be talking about the same 60 players. Like we wouldn't have a segment right here if we were just going to talk. We would just be talking about the same players all the time. Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Tyler Van Dyke, Anthony Richardson. I mean, Caleb Boyd. We'd be talking about the same guys over and over again. So we are trying to go off the beaten path a little bit and to give you guys some stacks that we are targeting in C2C. So I'm sorry, Mike this being college football debate and not a uh, Debbie debate. So go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Chris. Oh, yeah. I, I get to go first. I, I can talk a lot. Oh, did you I'm want me to go thrown. first? I can go first. No, I'm getting thrown the question. I'll, I'll take it. Oh. I don't care. I just like to be, I just like to be noticed. Uh, <laughs> um, the first one is a stack that, oh, these are two players that I've talked about on this show a lot. And I actually think it's really important to basically just keep hammering home the point because I don't think that the Campus Canton ADP and Debbie ADP really reflect the potential of this offense. And that is the Washington State offense. And the stack that I've chosen is Cameron Ward and wide receiver Deshaun Stripling, who is a true sophomore heading into this season. They brought in Eric Morris, who was the head coach at Incarnate Ward. He'll be the offensive coordinator under head coach Jake Dickert. This is what ICW did last season. They ran 2.73 plays per minute. That would have tied Wake Forest for fourth nationally in terms of number of plays per minute. 
they're not 597 pass attempts would have ranked third nationally. I am pushing all of my chips in to get pieces of this offense. And even if I don't get Stribling, who I think will operate as a wide receiver one, I will still be taking a last round dart throw on a guy like Donovan Ollie. I will still be taking a last round dart throw on a guy like Bernard Bell, who is, he, he's hurt during spring, but I don't really care. Like, I feel, still, still think he'll be productive. This is the best chance that anyone has at recreating a 2022 version of the Western Kentucky offense led by Bailey Zappi and Jareth Jones. You have to get in now if you are interested. That is my opinion on this offense. It has immense upside. We are pushing Cameron Ward's value so far up, but I think it's warranted. I really do. I mean, I think that he has a potential first-round NFL draft pick either next year or the following year. Um, Matt, do you want me to go second, or do you do you got yours? It is up to you. I've, I've got three stacks ready to go. To so I don't care. I've got three stacks. I took notes. I took notes I during the show, notes. so I'm ready. Always, took- always during the show. Okay, I can go next. Um, so mine, I, I, I wasn't really sure how deep we wanted to go here, so I tried to go for guys that aren't being drafted early. Now, my first stack is uh, the Colorado State, Clay Millen and either Torrey Horton or Dante Wright. Uh, Jay Norvell has a 58.2 passing success rate and a 63.2 passing in neutral situations. He has had two of the highest top 30 offenses and pass rate per team since 2018. That was Nevada's offense last year in 2021, which ranked sixth, and in 2020, which ranked 27th. They only play two good defenses this year, which is Michigan, which I believe is the first game of the season, and then San Jose State, which is the third or fourth uh, game uh, at the end of the season. Right now, Clay Millen, Austin's guy, is going off the board as QB 65 with an ADP of twenty or 218.8. And then you can get Torrey Holton and Dante Wright very late as well. Torrey Horton, I'm sorry, not Holton, Torrey Horton, wide receiver 108 with an ADP of 198, and Dante Wright, wide receiver 112 with an ADP of 200. When you go look at what Carson Strong was able to do in this Nevada offense, which is, in my opinion, technically what he is bringing over to Colorado State, you go back and look the last two years, like he was averaging 30-plus points a game. Very rarely did he not get get more, or I'm sorry, less than 20 points a game. Like Carson Strong lit it up, and I don't think that – then at Colorado State are going to play quite the competition that Carson Strong did at times. So I think this is a a group of guys that you can get very late in your C2C drafts that all have a chance of being like top 24 at their position. And and in most of these C2C leagues being super flex, I think having a quarterback like that is good. I I honestly think Clay Millen could go as high as QB 15. And so being able to get him as quarterback, whatever that was, 65 off the board, I think is an absolute steal. I got to give you credit on that one, Matthew, because – that's a, a situation I've been paying attention to, and I have not heard Please. anyone. I'm out. I'm out. Thank anyone. you, guys. Great show. I, I have not heard anyone tout Clay Millen and uh, in his, in his move to not this year, not last year. I've heard no one tout Clay Millen. So if Clay Millen goes off, I want everyone to please give Matthew Bruning credit for that one. This is the first time that I've heard it, and that's the first time that anyone's heard it, quite frankly. So please yeah, do, Matthew. That's a really good call. That I, I haven't heard that either. I, I think that, that you're really digging deep for that one. No one has. No, no one has. I haven't even heard the name Clay Millen until Matthew uh, brought it up right there. So make sure you give Matthew credit if if Clay Millen goes off. I'm going to go with Aiden O'Connell 
uh, the Purdue team. And so the stat could be Milton Wright, Elijah Kanan, Tyrone Tracy. That wide receiver core, if Kanan can be what we saw in that bowl game at the end of his freshman season, I think it could be really dynamic. I really liked Tyrone Tracy after his freshman year. He's kind of a slot wide receiver, running back, wide receiver hybrid type. He's going to be in the slot. Milton Wright and Elijah Kanan going to be on the outside. Aiden O'Connell was top 15 in passing yards, top 15 in attempts, top 20 in, in uh in QB rating. And Purdue has traditionally been a team that is pass heavy. Um Jeff and Brian Brom handled the offensive coordinator. Do it that Brian Brom who used to play for U of L for U of L was drafted by the Packers. He's the co-offensive coordinator there. The Brahms have had the forced the fourth heaviest pass rate since 2003 behind Mike Leach, Tyson Helton, and June Jones. So um, that's a stack that you can buy into. It was already really good last year, and now David Bell is going to be gone. Milton Wright had a 300-yard game last year. Um, all of these guys have had flashes. Let's see if they are able to all put it together uh, in – I don't even remember where Purdue is located – Wherever is it Purdue, Indiana? Wherever Purdue is, let's see if they can put it together. Let's see if they can put it together there. Um, so yeah, that's a stack that I'm looking for. Chris Moxley, give us one more. So I like the the University of Texas at San Antonio UTSA stack of Frank Harris and Zachary Franklin. Last season they had a 46% neutral game uh, neutral game script pass rate, which is slightly above average. But they've lost Sincere McCormick, who was their best rusher. Uh, and incredibly, uh, incredibly productive player for the, at least the collegiate level. Um, they're not returning great production on defense. Their SP plus rating for Bill Connolly is 89th, and they return only 67% of their defensive production. But their offense, outside of McCormick, returns basically every key starter. They're also due from a due for a lot of regression. If you if you look at uh, their wins. Two of their wins were with post-game win expectancy lower than 10%. Only team to do that. They won 3.3 more games based on the post-game win expectancy than any other team uh, that than was expected. So they won, I believe, 12 games. They should have won nine. If we assume that they are trailing in more of these games, I think it's a goldmine for fantasy value. So Zakari Franklin had 81, uh, 1,000 yards, a thousand twenty-seven yards and twelve touchdowns on a twenty-nine percent market share. I think he can repeat that, but with higher volume, maybe bump it up a little bit to like twelve hundred and like maybe thirteen, fourteen touchdowns. Frank Harris, I feel like is a guy who's just totally forgotten about. Uh, he finished his QB thirteen last season with over three thousand yards, twenty-seven touchdowns, and five hundred fifty-six, five hundred fifty-six rushing yards and six touchdowns on the ground. If he has the ball in his hands more, because they're they're down in more games. I think the upside is really high for him. I, I think he could easily finish as a top 12 quarterback this season. I think Zachary Franklin is top 12 in his range of outcomes. And I neither are being drafted as if they have any sort of upside. I think that is a huge mistake. And I will also take, like, like I said, that Donovan Ali and Renard Bell were dart throws for Washington State. I'll throw another dart throw on Joshua Cephas who was the wide receiver two in the UTSA offense. He had over 800 yards last season. I think if they do go more pass heavy with the loss of Sierra McCormick, that he's the beneficiary. And I think that he is the potential for a thousand yard season. So he's a guy I like kind of in basketball formats. I, I was going to say uh, my, I was going to bring up Miami. Um, 
but quite frankly, I, I don't see well, which, an outside. Which Miami? My, Miami, the Miami, Florida. Tyler uh, Van I was Dyke going Miami, Ohio. Him, no, pairing him with a wide receiver. But I just, first of all, Mario Cristobal and Josh Gaddis are offense killers. And Charleston Rambo, who might be a day three NFL draft pick or an undrafted free agent, regardless, he was very important to their offense last year. And I just don't see a an outside receiver who's going to stretch the field for them just yet. And quite frankly, I don't know that Josh Gaddis is going to ask uh, Tyler Van Dyke to do that the way they did last year. Um, so mine is, uh, is Miles Price, slot receiver at Texas Tech, who we think is going to get the Josh Stearns role that Josh Stearns had at uh, – at Western Kentucky, and then whoever the quarterback is. So that's going to be between Baron Morton, Donovan Smith, and Tyler Show. And it's funny because I guess two years ago now, we were asking about under-the-radar freshmen, and Alan True came on this show, and he talked about Baron Morton. Now, Baron Morton hasn't played a lot uh, in his two years at Texas Tech. Donovan Smith was the starter for the through the end of the season, and, and then your boy, Matt, Tyler Show is there too. I I... I I don't know. I, I I think that it's going to be Donovan Smith, even though even though he's the most athletic. Even though this system doesn't really ask for athleticism, I think that Donovan Smith offers the most upside of those three, and I think that it's going to be him. So I'm going to say Miles Price and Donovan Smith. Is Tyler Show my guy because he sucks? Like I'm confused. I'm no, you you were promoting Tyler Show. Weren't you promoting no, Tyler Show? I've I've promoted Morton. I have never promoted Tyler Show. <laughs> that's why I, I just thought that was a dig at me because I like crappy players or something. Like I, I thought was, when he was as, as a freshman, has, you were all about Tyler no, show. No. I got to <laughs> think of who I'm thinking about then. I was all in on now. I will admit it was, be, I'm almost positive because of Allen and Colin Decker. They were the guys who really drove me toward Baron Morton, but Baron Morton's the guy that I like from that group. Kane was a big Tyler show guy, but not me. Anyways, uh, one, uh, I'm going to give one really quick one. Uh, Arizona, who Jaden Delora, Jacob Cowing, I think right now, I mean, they got Jeb Fisher there. Jeb Fish, it was first year as a head coach last year with a bad Arizona team. They still passed 41% of the time. Uh, but I do think that he's got some good offensive roots and being with UCLA for a couple of years and with the Rams. Jacob Cowing, you will have to pay up for him. Wide receiver 25 off the board. Jaden Delora, QB 48. But I want to add another stack in here, and I didn't grab their ADPs. Noah Fafita, who I guarantee you is not being drafted in C2C drafts, their freshman quarterback, and freshman wide receiver Tet McMillan. Both are really getting glowing reviews out of spring practice. Hey, I like Tet. There's a lot of people here who don't. Uh, I think Tet is one of the better wide receivers in this class. Noah Fafita, though, as well, getting a lot of love in spring camp right now. I don't know that he gets a starting job. I do think it's going to go to Jaden Delora. Uh, but two guys that I think you could watch it also could be one um, – a future pairing that I would really like to have. But the other one, I know the names sound like they're highly rated, and I think we talk about them, but they're still going late in C2C drafts, at least in my opinion, and that's Wake Forest duo Sam Hartman and A.T. Perry. Like, I don't get this at all. Sam Hartman finished his QB3 last year, and I've been doing the spring camp stuff, obviously, for the YouTube channel. And Dave Clawson just had a, a interview recently where he said he thinks the offense is going to be faster paced and pass more this year because their defense just isn't where it needs to be. And, and that he understands that he's OK with it. The past couple seasons, he's had a 45 percent. 
0.6% pass rate, but it's increased every single year. 42.9 in 2019, took a dip in 2020 with COVID to 46, and then jumped all the way up to 52% last year. And I think it's going to go even higher than that. Again, Sam Hartman finished his QB3 in fantasy last year. He's going off the board right now. He's QB30 with an ADP of 128. And A.T. Perry is wide receiver 31 with an ADP of 104.2. Dez Williams and um, Jamal Banks not being drafted are two freshmen. Or I'm not I'm the freshman. I know one is, uh, who are both getting a lot of hype as well in spring camp. Like, I would be fine pairing Hartman with any of those guys. I think the fact that he's going as QB 30, and I, I do think he's maybe not an NFL starter, but has a chance to be at least a backup in the NFL, so you're getting some kind of NFL future out of, out of Hartman for sure. Like, that's that's an absolute steal. Like you could punt the quarterback position, grab Hartman as your as your top quarterback at 100 in the draft, like 128. That's that's absolutely ridiculous. Hartman was a value last year. I think he's going to go a little bit higher this year. Um, but he had like 13 rushing touchdowns last year, and he is not a rushing quarterback. I'll also add that I don't think that you can really evaluate um, uh, a Wake Forest's quarterback's ability to play in the NFL because of how specific that system is to to Wake Forest uh, players. So, But Jacob Cowling, you mentioned Arizona. I think I have Jacob Cowling as my wide receiver 13 overall. He is a very good player. I think he's going to be a day two NFL draft pick next year. And I don't think oh, that that's shit. a hot take. Oh, he's exp- I, he's he's explosive. Um, I actually – I, I actually am interested in the – uh discount here uh dorian singer who was a freshman last season like he performed really well in that offense like i'm really interested in dorian singer as another outside option for arizona um i mean i like jacob cowling but uh, dorian singer was really good last year and so like he's a guy that i'm willing to stack like literally last round of a c2c draft with delora like he way outperformed expectations. Like I was, I, will, I was pretty impressed by what I. That said. is not a name that I had heard of. So, um, there, if there's any takeaways from this show, make sure that you give Matt Bruning at Sports Fanatic MB credit for Clay Millen, okay, and give yes. Chris Moxley credit. For, what's his name? I really Dorian haven't heard his Singer. name before. Dorian Singer. Dorian Singer. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go look him up after the show. All right. Um. Mike Valerie, uh, Mike Valerie has been handling the after show. He's been doing a really good job with it. Mike, uh, you want to give us a preview of what we can expect tonight? I don't even know if Mike knows that he's on camera and that it's live and that it's his. Did he even hear me? Did he? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if Mike. Mike can. Mike, can you hear me? The yeah, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> my ear, my earbuds wasn't working. I was so confused, and I had to close out the YouTube page. All right. Anyway, yeah, it's Mike here. Okay, I just didn't get my rebuttal out there. First off, this is the college debate show because I don't think they specify what's a Debbie asset. They just talked about At Perry, but Felix came in to save the day. But they they do not specify who are actually Debbie values. They're just like this guy is going to go off. Like, why should I care about At Perry? Why should I, well, who's a fifth year next year? Better. Let's just throw that out there. <laughs> and. <laughs> And because no, you didn't include that, you're not giving in the full context. But but like AT Paris is going to go off. But anyway, uh, also uh, no one asked, but uh, my wide receiver stacks are going to be Clayton Toon and Nathaniel Dell. Clayton Toon had three 300 yard games out of his last five. He's going to go nuclear. He literally just got two studs out of freshman. I don't know the camp reports. I'm actually catching up on all of Matt's stuff. Very excited about all that. And then my other pick is Dylan Goffney and Preston Stone because you'll have that stack for like two three years guaranteed. 
All right. Anyway, the after show, which is why we're I'm here. Okay. Uh, we're gonna have uh, Colin. You're right. No one at no one asked about your stats. <laughs> go, go, go ahead. <laughs> the after show, for Colin. Colin Stone. Colin Stone is a high school friend. I don't know why I said Stone. I don't know why they came in my head. Colin from Campus to Ken will be on the after show. Uh, very do you know Colin's last name? You don't know Colin's last name, do you? I don't. I don't. It's, it's, it's the only one I don't in know. His handle. It's literally <laughs> in his handle. I don't I know like, his he handle. Know. He's never he on Twitter. He doesn't know Colin's last name. I'm about to look. No. I oh, mean, in Decker. fairness, Damn. outside of Austin, Mike doesn't give two <laughs> shits about the rest of us. So, I mean, well, it's no. Decker. Okay, first off, just, that's why I Colin here, coming on. So, so, we'll help you out. So, before Colin gets here, it's Decker. There you go. That way you can I you saw can it in the right. chat. Okay, okay, Colin Decker. Okay, very excited. <laughs> We're going to have a lot of fun the after show. Okay, just, just, just come on. Come on by. And this might be the last right. uh, day Mike's employed at C2C. So, um. Check out Mike in the after show. Check out Mike's uh, Debbie Freshman Dart Throws Part 2 on the website right now. And, of course, check out all of the content around the Campus to Canton family. You can find this podcast on the Campus to Canton channel along with Canton Bound Campus Life Fantasy Roundtable. Matthew, Matthew, are you been putting Fantasy Roundtable on the on the CTC channel? That'd be No, you haven't. Thing, sir. No, you haven't. You can – well, you – all right. You can find Chasing the Natty. Freshman, future freshman, Debbie debate. What am I forgetting? Campus the life official. is getting down. Campus life. The, the official. official is on the YouTube page. The, f- the official is on the YouTube page. The All draft, right. You've got the daily report. draft report and spring reports drop daily as draft. well. There's so much. I got to change this. I got to change the show sheet here to update. I'm going to tell everybody right, right now that like Felix is not going to do well in the after show. You'll have to stick around for a while. All right, that's oh. going to be our show for tonight. Apologies to Kirk Street, who ran out of time. We'll get him rescheduled soon. For Matt Bruning and Chris Moxley, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. Intercepted by Eli Apple at the 25, and Apple will go to the ground at the 32, and that's it. Ohio State national champions for the eighth time as they defeat Oregon 42 to 20. Here's Tua stepping back, loads up, looks long, throws, end zone, touchdown, touchdown Alabama. Devontae Smith, touchdown Alabama. And the Crimson Tide has once again ascended to the top of the college football mountain. Their fifth national championship in nine years. Their 17th overall. And for Watson takes a snap, rolls right, looks at the end zone. Hunter up the cut it. Touchdown! 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 With a second left, Watson hits Renfro. And Clemson grabs a 34-31 lead and is one second away from the second national championship in school history. Hill, just in front of his end zone, has a man out there. It is Ranger, and he's off to the races. Nobody will catch him. Freshman. Made the adjustments in the second quarter. Dobbins again, more than 10 yards per carry. He'll add to that. 
Goodbye. Touchdown, Ohio State. From 52 yards.